Hey, great to see you all here this morning. Thanks for those of you who uh, made true with your promise. Uh, I know the earlier in the week and the night, you're like, please, Jesus, let them win. If they win, I'll go to church on Sunday, and you're here. So awesome, well done. Uh, great, great to see you. We're actually finishing off, if you're visiting this morning, a series that we've been in for the last few weeks called Decision 2016. And although it kind of has a bit of an election theme to it, because we're leading up to a big election here, uh, we've been talking more about the, just the whole concept of making choices. The fact that even though this Tuesday we're going to make a very important choice and every one of us gets to exercise our rights to vote and to to influence that decision. But the reality is, and especially if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, we make decisions every single day. We make choices every single day. And some may be um, not so important, but some can actually have a huge influence on our, our own lives on our families, on our communities, even in our country. So I happen to believe that as important as this choice we're going to make on Tuesday is, that the choices we make day in, day out can have a far greater lasting impact on the world in which we live. So we've talked about a few choices over the last few weeks, choices that Jesus himself uh, kind of presented his followers at the time and and even for us to, to look at as well. One of those in the very first week, we we kind of asked the question, will you be a follower or a fan? Will you be a follower or a fan? You see, Jesus, when he was alive, there was a lot of crowds that would would kind of um, stand like fans watching on. But then when Jesus kind of talked about what it meant to be a follower, those crowds dispersed a little bit. See, Jesus would have these these, um, things he would say that were kind of tough sayings. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. On the second week, we talked about how um, we have a choice to make every day. We're going to choose the important over the urgent. Sometimes we get caught up in the busyness and the urgency day in, day out, and we can neglect the important things in our lives, our marriage, our families, our relationship with God. Different things that get pushed to the side when we get caught up in the busyness and the urgency. Last week, uh, my good friend Jason Rates was here, a pastor from Michigan. I got a lot of good feedback um, on him. People seem to really enjoy his message. And he talked about choosing faith or fear. Will you choose faith or will you choose fear? It can be easy sometimes to be, to be caught up, especially in this um, coming election. You know, you see a lot of posts and a lot of things that kind of tap into our fear and what if this and what if that. And, but as followers of Jesus, we can choose to have faith. We can choose to say, I trust in God. And we're going to wrap up this morning just with that, that one final thought. Whatever decision you make this Tuesday, I want to ask all of you here this morning, will you trust Jesus? Will you trust Jesus? That's a big question for all of us to wrestle, a big question for all of us to ask. Will we choose to trust Jesus? You see, trust is a very big thing. Trust is a big thing to ask of anyone, isn't it? Trust is saying, you know, I, I trust you completely. And I think the reason we find it so hard sometimes is because maybe we can think back to situations where we trusted someone and they let us down. Maybe it was a friend or a family member or an employer. But there's nothing worse than, than trusting someone and them then letting you down. Take a look at this video. And close your eyes and just fall down, okay? Okay, then Lauren's going to catch you. Close your eyes, okay. Okay, it's called the trust fall. Okay, trust fall. Ready, set, go. Okay, 
<laughs> Alright, so it's called the trust ball. So you have to, eyes have to be closed. Okay? And, and when I say go, so I'm going to count and say go, then you have to fall and Daisy will catch you, okay? Mm-hmm. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Alright. One, two, three, go. Equal opportunity pass that I am. I've presented two videos from both sides of the Atlantic there um, of trust fall fails. Okay? I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to do a trust fall, but always fall backwards. That's how trust falls work. You fall back and the person catches you. But in both these instances, these poor kids, they were trusting that person and they were like, okay, I'm going to fall. You're going to catch me, right? And they fell the wrong way. And there's nothing worse, is there, than, than putting your trust in someone and then that happens. And this Tuesday, you know, millions of Americans will choose to put their trust into one of several different candidates. They will be trusting that everything they've been saying up till now, that they will come through. They won't just be empty promises to secure votes. And in some senses, for many of us, maybe we feel just like that person in the video where we're going to say, okay, I hope they do what they said they're going to do. And we put their trust in them and we cast our vote. You know, it's, it's interesting, through this uh, recent election cycle coming up to Tuesday, I know I've heard lots of people say, and I, I felt this myself, this has just been a crazy election cycle. There's been a lot of divisiveness, a lot of um, crazy things said, a lot of crazy things done, and we're like, man, has it ever been like this? And I think we forget that actually elections as a whole can, can often be controversial. Anyone remember this picture here? Anyone know what that is? Kids here right now have no idea what that is, but mums and dads, help me. What is that in that picture? It is a hanging chad. Do you remember that? In 2000, the, uh, the general election, it hung in the balance in the state of Florida because Bush and Gore, the election results were in. It seemed too close to call, so they all kind of rested on the, the, the shoulders of Florida. They were looking at each ballot card because they had these manual machines. Was that person really voting for Bush or was that an accident? And it was a controversial election. I found out preparing for this message, I did some uh, research, that in 1924, the Democratic National Convention that year, it took 103 ballots to decide who was going to be the front runner for the Democratic Party. 103 votes, voting and voting, 103 different times until finally they could all agree on the same person. Now, you imagine if back then Fox and CNN and MSNBC and Facebook would be around, it would just been chaos. So actually, I think as we look back historically, there's always been a sense of tension. There's always been a sense of, sense of divisiveness and, and just, just trouble throughout these elections. In fact, I actually think even if you go back to Jesus' time, you can sense some hostility and some tension in the political environment back then. You see, you may not know this, but, but back in Jesus' time, the Romans ruled that area at that time. And the Jewish people were part of that area that the Romans ruled over. So the Jews, they had many different kind of political parties and sects and, and different ideas of what the future held. And these different political parties were made up into different groups, had different names. And, and there were four of them that were pretty famous around that time. And I'm going to tell you about them this morning because it's going to set up what I want to talk about. So the four parties that um, were in that time, one of them was called the Herodians. Okay, so the Herodians, they were a group of Jewish people, and they just accepted the situation. 
They accepted the fact, you know what? The Romans are in power. The Romans are in charge. We accept that. Um, If they had to have a political slogan, their slogan probably would have been, if you can't beat them, join them. If you can't beat them, join them. This is the situation we found ourselves in. Let's just put up with it and do the best we can. So then he had another group. This group were called the Zealots. And if the Herodians were on this end of the spectrum, the Zealots were way over here on this end. Because they weren't happy with this Roman rule. They were going to do everything in their power to overthrow the Romans. They had a great zeal for God, and they wanted a holy war against the Romans. You could probably say that their political slogan was if you can't, I'm sorry, if you, um, yeah, sorry, their political slogan was probably more like, give them hell. And I thought maybe I should make that give them heck, but um, I think these zealots, they wouldn't have been happy with that because they're like, no, come on. They were passionate. They were zealous. They wanted to overthrow the Romans. That was the, the zealots. Now, you also had a group. They were called the Essenes. Now, the Essenes, they had a very interesting philosophy there. Their solution to this Roman governance that was above them was, the, you know what we should do? We should just escape. We should just get out of here. We should get out in the wilderness somewhere and just live out there and, you know, just rather than confront this, let's just get away from it. Their political slogan probably would have been something like, let's get away from them. Let's just get away from them. And then another group that you've probably heard of, we talk about these guys a lot, they were the Pharisees. These were all different uh, factions, different sects within the, the Jewish culture. And the Pharisees, um, they were the teachers of the law. They were the ones, they were the majority party. They were the largest party. And they actually felt that if they could just be good enough, if they could just obey all of God's laws, if they could just line up with everything, then God would take care of it. If we can be good enough, then God will sort the Romans out. In fact, their slogan would probably have been, God will get them. God will take care of them. If we can line up, if we can do right, God will sort this all out. So even in Jesus' day, there were all these different groups with all these different political ideals and, and ideas of how the battle should be won and what the future should look like. And I think as Jesus started to grow in popularity and fame and following, I would imagine that these political groups, these Jewish groups, probably started to gather around saying, well, Jesus, come on, who are you with? Whose side are you on? Which one of us has got it right? Come and, come and endorse one of our groups. But Jesus would never do it. Jesus never lined up with one of these groups. So I think he kind of left them wondering, well, I wonder who he's with. I wonder if the Pharisees would look on and think, well, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher. He knows the word of God. He's, he's got to be a Pharisee. I'm sure they told one another, he's definitely a Pharisee. But the zealots, maybe they got wind of that time that Jesus went into the temple and he, he turned over the tables and he, he made the whip to drive out the people selling stuff they shouldn't have been selling in God's temple. And they're like, wow, dude's a zealot. <laughs> definitely. I mean, you see the way he took care of those guys? That is a zealot for sure. Or maybe the Essenes heard about the fact that before Jesus began his preaching and teaching, he spent 40 days in the wilderness praying and fasting. And they thought, see, he had it right there at the beginning. He was just like one of us. He went out into the wilderness. And all of them were trying to figure out where Jesus stood. And I have to believe that it probably drove them mad because sometimes I think he said things that endorsed them. And then sometimes he said things that seemed to go against them. 
And they could never figure out exactly where Jesus stood. So one day, the craziest of things happened. We discover in Matthew chapter 22 that, that these people come to talk to him. And, and listen to this. I'll read the first verse and tell you more about it. It says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15, Then the Pharisees, so those were one of the groups, they went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. This is crazy. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they despised one another. These were two opposite parties. This was the God will get them, and if you can't beat them, join them. Groups coming together to try and trap Jesus. They were so infuriated that Jesus didn't seem to line up with one particular way that they actually joined forces with their enemy to try and trap Jesus. Listen to what they said. They went with this, this very um, tough political question. They said, teacher... We know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. So tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? So they come to Jesus with this politically charged question. You see, the tax they're talking about is what was called a head tax. There was many taxes that the Jews in that day they had to pay and um, all sorts of variations of amounts and reasons you paid them. And this head tax, it wasn't a very large tax. It was equivalent to about one day's pay for the lowest class of person. But it was called a head tax because anyone with a head had to pay it. That was where the, the tax was derived. So it was an unpopular tax because it was almost for no reason whatsoever. Everyone had to pay once a year this tax to Caesar, this small amount of money, but there was no way out. If you had a head, you paid this tax. So they confront Jesus with this tricky question because this whole idea of this tax, it was a divisive discussion. You had some like the zealots who wanted to get away from the taxes because they were against Rome. And then you had the Herodians who wanted to be, you know, let's, let's just fit in here. Let's pay the taxes. Let's accept our, our lot in life. So you've got all these different ways of dealing with this tax. And they're trying to put Jesus on the spot and say, so where do you lie in all this? Because they realized that if Jesus said, you're right, don't pay the tax. You shouldn't pay tax. Then the Herodians could go to Caesar and say, hey, that Jesus, he's raising up these disciples, and he's trying to get them to stop paying taxes. You should arrest him. Meanwhile, the Pharisees, they were ready to trap Jesus. If he said, no, no, you should pay the tax, then they could say, what kind of follower of God are you? You don't trust God? You should put God above, above Caesar, and you're telling people to pay their taxes? So it's, they feel like they've cornered him and, and that he won't have an answer that he can give. So this is how Jesus responds. In verse 18, it says, But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, he said, You hypocrites, are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. So they brought him this denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Well, Caesar's, they replied. So he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and they went away. You see, in that short response, in that small answer there, Jesus was able to both satisfy and dissatisfy both of them at the same time. He had an answer that kind of built their case and destroyed their case all at once. 
It had a huge impact on the listeners and on those groups in those days, but I think it has an impact on us today, especially in light of this political climate that we're in right now as we come up to this election. Because there's a few things that I think we can apply in our lives, in our worlds today, as demonstrated by Jesus. The first thing we can take note of here this morning is that Jesus refuses political simplicity. Jesus refuses political simplicity. Now, here's what I mean by that statement. You see, the Pharisees and the Herodians, all they were looking for from Jesus was a simple yes or no answer. Should we pay taxes or shouldn't we pay taxes? They knew how hot of a political issue this was at the time. But when put on the spot, Jesus doesn't give a simple answer. He knows that that simple answer will either upset or frustrate one or the other. Because in effect, they're asking him, Jesus, what party are you in? Who are you for? We want to know, Jesus, whose side are you on? And I think this has a big implication for us this morning. Because I wonder if we can be guilty of doing to Jesus something that he never did to himself. I wonder at times if we're followers of Jesus, if we can be guilty of doing to Jesus something that he refused to do himself. There's an author and church leader whose name is Tim Keller. And I read a quote by him. He said, you must not say this is, sorry, you must not say this is Jesus' party or this is Jesus' platform. He wouldn't do that. When you do that, you're mixing up God and Caesar. It's one of the things he says not to do. You see, Jesus here was talking to these these people, and when he was talking about what was Caesar's and what was God's, he was saying, "You're, you're, you're missing the point here. You're trying to oversimplify. You're trying to get an easy answer here, but I am bigger than all of this. There's a time to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but there's a time to give to God what is God's. And I'm not saying that's wrong, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm not saying that alone is right, and I'm not saying that this alone is right. You see, if we find ourselves believing that Jesus is for one party or one platform or one candidate, we need to pause. We need to consider whether we are giving Jesus a label that he refused to give himself. Now, I know that at some point, maybe right now, some of you are kind of squirming in your seats a little bit. This whole political talk is a little difficult. Listen, I promise, I will not speak about this again for at least four years, okay? It's the last time I'll speak about it for four years. Next week, we'll lighten things up, and we'll talk about money or something, and that'll be a lot, um, a lot easier to, to sit and listen to. But here's the problem, and as followers of Jesus, I feel like we have a, a bigger responsibility in this. You see, the reality is that if you look across the country right now, it's it's very divided. There are a lot of people voting one way, a lot of people voting another. And there's more than two options. There's, There's several options out there. And in all of those camps, there are many followers of Jesus. And we find it difficult because we look and we say, well, I believe that, you know, Jesus would be for this. But someone else who's equally as in love with Jesus and a follower of Jesus could actually say, well, I believe that Jesus is for this. And how do we reconcile that? You know, it's a crazy time we live in, and I think as followers of Jesus, we have to be willing to to listen to others, to be willing to maybe not change what we believe, but at least be willing to speak with other people and talk to other people and find out why it is they believe what they believe. Maybe their upbringing, their culture, their environment has an impact on what they believe. Maybe they didn't grow up in a similar situation as you did. 
You know, it's fascinating. Um, a couple of years ago, I can remember Apple. I'm a big Apple fan, and they'll have these presentations from time to time where they'll announce the new iPhone or the new laptop or the new software. And they were talking about this new software for the iPhone. It was going to be revolutionary. It's going to change everything. And one of the features on this software was a news app that they hadn't had before. They said, this news app is going to change everything because you go in there and the first time you use it, you select the media that you want to read. You select the publications and the channels that you want to read. And then once you've selected that, as you start clicking on articles, the app starts to learn what you like and it'll give you more articles that you like. And they were like, this is brilliant. And I remember watching thinking, that's scary. Facebook does the same. It, it, it kind of gets an idea of what you like, and then it kind of steers you more. And what happens is further and further, people are getting further apart from one another because these apps and these, these phones, they're driving us towards you know, one extreme or the other. And there's nothing wrong with believing something, but as followers of Jesus, when we try to say, well, Jesus fits here, Jesus himself didn't want to fit neatly anywhere. So I think as followers of Jesus, we have to learn to be listeners and learners and stand on our conscience and stand on our faith, but not oversimplify things because Jesus refused political simplicity. But here's the other cool thing about this exchange between these people and Jesus. He also refused political complacency. He also refused political complacency. I think that's a temptation for many of us now. We're just like, I just, I don't know what to do. I'm so confused. I'm just going to bury my head in the sand. I don't want to do anything. I don't even want to think about this. I don't know what to do. You know, when they came to him, they gave, Jesus pulled that coin out. It was a denarius. It was a silver coin that bore the image of Tiberius Caesar. They give it to Jesus. He said, whose image is on this? And they reply, Caesar's. So Jesus says, give to Caesar the thing that bears his image. In effect, he's saying that this coin belongs to Caesar because it bears his image, so give it to him. He's kind of making a statement. He's saying, listen, this is the right thing to do. I think if I'd have been Jesus at that point and I knew what they were up to, I'd have been like, I, I refuse to answer. No comment. You're, you're, I'm not going to be narrowed down to anything here, right? But he says, no, this is the deal. This is Caesar's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He didn't step back. He didn't ignore the situation. He, he stepped into it and gave some advice as regards to that. And here's why I think this is important to us today. Because I think sometimes in the middle of a, a tense, difficult, divisive political climate, we can be tempted to just withdraw and have nothing to do with it. And as followers of Jesus, we can say, well, I'm just going to put my trust in God and I'm going to disengage from this whole election stuff. But Jesus is saying that while we should trust God with what is God's, there is also a responsibility to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So in light of what we're going through right now, I think that the truth is that the fact that we were born in this country or that we married someone who lives in this country, <laughs> it gives us this wonderful right to vote and that we shouldn't take this for granted. I don't think we do, but we need to remind ourselves of the cost of this and the fact that this isn't something that everyone on the planet gets to do. If you happen to be born in North Korea instead of the United States this morning, you would have no um, experience of democracy. If you were in Saudi Arabia this morning and it was time to vote, half the people in this room would not be allowed to vote because women cannot vote in Saudi Arabia. We have a great opportunity this, this week as citizens of the United States to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. 
to follow through on our, 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 our opportunity to vote in this democracy. And that's what I love about Jesus. He wouldn't go to the simplicity and say, well, it's this easy. But at the same time, he wouldn't shy away from it either. But here's the best part. Here's the part I love the most about this. And I think if you're a follower of Jesus, this should inspire you with faith and confidence this morning. Is he also refused what I've called political primacy. Jesus refused political primacy. And what I mean by that is he refused to believe that everything relied solely on the shoulders of the politics of the day. You see, that's what the Herodians were looking for. That's what the Essenes were looking for, the Zealots, the Pharisees. They were looking for Jesus to say, yes, that's the system that's going to work here. But Jesus refused to say, no, not one of your individual systems is the answer. There is something far greater than that. Yes, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but here's the key. You also have to give to God what is God's. You have to give to God what is God's. So that coin, it bears the image of Caesar. That belongs to Caesar. But there is something that bears the image of God. Every one of you has this. Do you know what it is? It's actually on your chair right now. Don't look, it's you. (laughs) It's you. The person sat in your chair right now bears the image of God. So when Jesus is saying, give to God's what is God's, he's saying, give yourself fully to God. You want to know where the real power lies? You want to know where the real change will take place? It's when you give to God what is God's. That's what will make the difference. Yes, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. So how do we give ourselves to God? You know, Jesus goes on just a couple of verses later and answers that question. In Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, this Tuesday, we'll all make a choice. But I want us to realize this morning, there's another choice that many of us here this morning have already made. And that maybe some of us have yet to make, and I would encourage you to make, and that is to choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. I choose to put my trust in Jesus. Because here's the thing. When you choose to trust Jesus, you are making a declaration. You are making a statement. By choosing to trust Jesus, you are saying, I don't believe that the ultimate power is in the Oval Office or on the bench of the Supreme Court or in Washington, D.C. or in the Capitol building here in Springfield. I'm choosing to trust and believe that the ultimate power has always been, is currently, and will always be sat upon a throne in heaven. I'm choosing to trust that the psalmist was right when he said, for God is the king over all the earth. Praise him with a psalm. God reigns above the nations, sitting on his holy throne. God reigns above the nations. And and this week and every week, if I'm going to make a trustful It's not going to be in who I vote for or in my boss at work or this or that. that. I am going to choose to trust Jesus. I can honestly say over 20 years now I've been a follower of Jesus. I've put my trust in him. And every single time he has always been there to catch me. There have been people who have let me down. 
There have been employers who have let me down. There have been situations that I thought would be good and didn't turn out to be. Jesus has always been there when I've fallen back. So this Tuesday, yes, allow your personal faith and your conscience to determine the way that you vote. But when it comes to where the true power lies and where you choose to put your hope, I want you as citizens of the United States to be grateful that you have the freedom to vote. But as a follower of Jesus, I don't want you to forget what Paul said when writing to the Philippians. He says, we are citizens of heaven and are eagerly waiting for our Savior to come from there. We are putting our trust first and foremost as citizens of heaven in Jesus. In who he says he is, we are going to choose to trust him. So as we close out this morning, if the outcome of this election is worrying you, if there are things happening in your life right now that concern you, maybe things out of your control with health, career, finances, the future, whatever it may be, I want you to make a choice this morning. We can all do this. It's hard to follow through on, but it's easy to say, I'm going to make that choice. I'm going to choose to put my trust in Jesus. That's where I want to put my hope this morning. I will give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but I'm going to choose to give to God what is God's, and that's where I will put all of my hope. We're going to do something different this morning. We don't always do this here at Connect, but we're actually going to close out by singing one more song this morning. We're going to sing that song that we sang earlier, and here's why I want to sing it. I just think the words of this song, um, they, they can be like a prayer to us as we leave today. Listen to one of the lines from the song. It says, I will not fear God, you are with me. I know you're near. You'll never leave me. I will trust in you alone. We're going to sing this together. I'll come back afterwards and we'll pray and dismiss. But let's sing this song one more time.